Bible, go ahead and open uh, your Bible up. You ready to study God's Word tonight? Feel good, 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 good. Hey, we are honored to have uh, a guest in the house, someone that Celebration really appreciates and we love, uh, not just a, a friend uh, to me and even back to Pastor Josh Turner, but a friend of our pastors, Pastor Stovall and Carrie, and, uh, and just the whole family here. And that's Pastor Joby Martin from Church of 1122. And... Uh, and uh, many of you, you know Pastor Joby and his awesome church here in town, man. Preaching Jesus, seeing a lot of people say their church is growing, it's healthy, and uh, man, just reaching people. And, uh, and it's just awesome. We, we love seeing other Jesus-preaching, Christ-exalting churches in the city. Uh, there's a lot of people to reach, and it's going to take a lot of great men and women of God to get the job done in our awesome city. And so, hey, if you're ready to receive the word, why don't we stand to our feet? Let's put our hands together. Let's welcome Pastor Joby as he comes to preach to us. How are we doing, Sub 30? Doing good? Good. All right. Sit down. I'm usually like, a, like an hour guy, and I want to be respectful and stay amongst the time. Every time I preach, at Celebration, Pastor Josh Turner always called it a lock-in. And so I don't want to do that to you. But I do want to say thanks to Pastor Clay for the invitation. And, uh, and, and to my good friend, Pastor Josh Turner down in Celebration Orlando. I had the privilege of preaching there a few months ago. And uh, God is using him in mighty ways there. He, he is kind of like the, the Moses of sub-30, I think. And then he handed the baton to Joshua, uh, to Caleb, to, excuse me, to Clay. And then Clay brought it into the promised land that is Sunday nights, off of Wednesday nights, you know. And so uh, here we are. And then also I, I just got to say thank you so much to, to Pastor Stovall Weems. Uh, sometimes we'll go out turkey hunting together. And that's pretty cool, me and turkey hunting with your pastor. And uh, this, this is like holy ground to me. I mean, I, I take it very, very seriously. In the past five or six years, there's probably been more people that met Jesus on this dirt right here than any other place in Jacksonville. And so it is holy, it is holy ground. Amen? Amen. And I always love coming, coming in this facility. It's amazing. Uh, it, we planted our church in a Walmart, uh, so it doesn't look like this at all. Uh, and in fact, when we planted our church in Walmart, I called my daddy. I was like, Daddy, we're going to put our church in a Walmart. And he said, boy, I always thought you'd work at Walmart. So, uh, <laughs> so that happened. So if you got your Bibles, we're going to be in John chapter 5. John chapter 5. Uh, I'm just a Bible guy. I don't really have an introduction because I, I don't want to spend any time introducing. We're just going to dig right in. John chapter 5, we're going to pick it up in verse 1. Before we dig in, I just need to tell, the, tell you this, though. Uh, the only way this is going to work for you is if you're ready to get real. Because the, the, the fake you is doing just fine, okay? And I know some of you, man, I know you are here in search of that model P31. You know what I'm talking about, that Proverbs 31 woman, you're looking around here like just <laughs> worshiping and trying to sit on the left side of her so you can check for that ring. And so you're faking it all the way, bro, okay? You hadn't taken a breath in 30 minutes. So just exhale, let the gut hang for a second. You're going to be all right. The fake you is doing just fine, so be real and just see what the Lord might have for us. Chapter 5, verse 1, and after this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, he went from Galilee to Jerusalem, and if you go to the back of your Bible in the maps, that looks south, and it is south, but if you've ever been to Jerusalem, I don't know if you've been to Israel, I went this last year. Clay, have you ever been to Israel? 
Oh, you want to come with me? I'm going February like 23rd. I think that Sub 30 should take up a collection to send your pastor to Israel with me. Why don't you come on? Come on. Okay. So what you'll find is Jerusalem is, is, is the highest city around everything. So no matter where you are, you go up to Jerusalem, even if you're going south. I promise. We were there 10 days. I walked uphill the whole time. I don't know how that happened, but that's just, that's just true. So he's going up to Jerusalem. <clears throat> Now, there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roof colonnades, verse 3. And in these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. Let me just stop right here and say for a second, this is what the church is supposed to be. I mean, I mean look around. Look, look at the people around you. Let me just tell you this real quick. I mean, look. Seriously, move your neck. Look around at the people around you. This is the best they looked all week. You know that? You realize that, right? I mean, they showered up and they freshened up and they whatever, body sprayed it up and they are ready. This is the best they've looked all week. And some of them, if you ask them right now, how you doing? You know what they're going to do? They're going to lie to you so bad because they ain't doing good. They're doing really, really bad. They intended to go to church this morning. They're too hungover. They couldn't make it. And so they're like, oh, I'll do sub 30. That's why they're here. Okay, it's just true. It's just true. They're heartbroken, they're broke. Actually, they're not broke. They wish they were broke. Broke means you don't have anything. They owe more than they have. That's where they are. I mean, they're just jacked up, all right? Some of you have been broken up with, defriended. All of that happened today. And when you walked into church and the usher says, how are you doing? You said, blessed and highly favored. You liar. You liar. Now, here's why that's good news. It's such good news to hear that the church is the place where the people that are blind, lame, and paralyzed are to gather. Because Jesus didn't come for the healthy. He came for wretched, black-hearted sinners like me and you. So your kindergarten teacher lied to you. You were not a rainbow. You were not a snowflake. You were not a Skittle. You are wretched black-hearted, blind, lame, and paralyzed, and welcome to the church. You see, and, the, and those of you that think you've got to clean up your act before you come to the church would be like the kind of person that thinks they've got to get the bleeding to stop before you go to the ER. If that's what you think, then you misunderstood the point of the ER. And if you think you've got to have your act together before you show up, to church, then you misunderstood the whole point of the church. And so here they are. Here they are. And then Jesus sees them. Verse 5, and one man was, was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. Now, some of you in the room think 38 is old. Well, you're too dumb to talk to. 38 is young. Okay, really, really, really young. All right. I'm, I'm way post 30. I ain't sub 30, ain't been there for a long time and ain't going back, all right? I'm 42 years old and 38 now is really young. Then it was a lifetime. The average lifespan in the first century was about 38 years. So you want to talk about a man that is in a hopeless situation for 38 years. He's been hanging out next to this pool, the pool of Bethesda, because rumor had it that occasionally an angel would come in and stir up the waters and whoever got in first could be healed. And you got to think, man, that first three months, he probably thought, man, I got this. I got this. I'm young. I know my legs don't work, but I can, you know, I can army crawl. Oh, I can do something. Year two, he's thinking, well, that's all right. I mean, the three guys that could outrun me, they've already been in and gotten healed. So now maybe I'm moving up to the front of the line. But after 38 years, after an entire lifetime, this man is absolutely hopeless. 
verse 6, when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, Jesus says this question, do you want to be healed? Now let me ask you, I hope when you read the Bible you take it seriously, all right, and you don't skip over verses like this. Because you think on the surface, you're like, Jesus, come on, that's a crazy question to ask the man. He's been laying there 38 years, what do you think he's here for, a sandwich? Uh-uh, of course he wants to be healed. But Jesus does not just assume that he wants to be healed. He looks at the man and says, do you want to be healed? Let me ask you that question. Do you want to be healed? When Pastor Clay says there's a 40-mile gap between, between your need and the miracle, for some reasons, it's because you never took a step to fill up that 40-mile 40, 40 gap. Do you want to be healed? You see, because a lot of times... Healing is right there. Eternal healing is right there. The great physician is right there. And yet sometimes we let our afflictions identify who we are. We let our infirmities tell us who we are. And some people don't want to be healed because you don't want God to take away the excuse for your bad behavior. And that's just what it is. You see, because nobody likes change. A lot of people don't like change. Change is like a baby sitting in a dirty diaper. Like, I know it's gross, but it's wet and it's mine. I'm just going to hang on to it for a while. And I see people week after week after week in our church, and I'm telling you, the great physician is asking them, the same one that asked this man, do you want to be healed? And we give that invitation every single week. And look how this guy responds. By the way, the answer he should get is, uh-huh. That's Greek for yes. Verse 7, the sick man answered. Here's what he answers, though. Sir? I have no one to put me into the pool. When the water is stirred up and while I am going, another steps down before me. Now, let me just tell you, I don't know where you measure on the grace and mercy meter, but I do not have the spiritual gift of mercy, all right? I don't. I'm very clear. I'm very direct. But my mercy level is so low, sometimes I will drain mercy out of you if you get too close to me. And thank God that I was not here in this situation. Because here's what I know. When I ask somebody a direct question, nothing makes me angrier than, than instead of getting an answer to get excuses. Because the reality is, you're either good at making excuses or you're good at making a difference. Never both. And so what I would do there, let me just tell you, this is, thank God, you know, what would... Jesus do instead of what would Joby do? Because what would Joby would do is be like, I ask you a direct question, and of course you can't get it in the water. That's why I'm here asking you, bro, all right? I'm here offering you help. But if you want to give me excuses, you lay there for another 38 years. Anybody else want to be healed? Ha-ha, see what happens when you answer the question, and I'd probably heal eight people. <laughs> and then leaving. Now, that's just me, because I got issues. But <clears throat> have you ever noticed, you know, the Bible says that Jesus comes full of grace and truth. You ever notice that, that when you're the offending party, you lean on the grace of God. But when you're the offended party, well, when you're the offending party, you want the, the, the grace of God towards you. But when you've been offended, you want the justice of God against somebody else. You ever notice that? If you are the offender, man, you're, you're quoting the grace verses. But when you're the offended, you're like, get them, God. And here's how I know that's true in every single one of us. A couple weeks ago, my son and I... His name's JP, it stands for Joseph Perry Martin IV. I'm the third, my dad's junior. I was almost junior, junior. We're really into us, but I named him the fourth, all right? And we went, we went to Publix to get a few things, because you have to. And so there we are, and we get like nine items. I counted them, nine, nine. And when you get nine items at Publix, what do you do? You go to the 10 items or fewer aisle, and you pull in there, and if somebody's in front of you, you do what I do, right? 
You pull in behind somebody and just kind of look in their card a little bit like this. Like, One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, nine, ten. <laughs> eleven, eleven, eleven. Oh, eleven. Hmm. JP, you want to count that again? Make sure you see if they got eleven because I'm not sure. I may have miscounted. I'm not perfect. But just count. They got, I think, eleven. Okay. And then what do you do when you realize that they actually have 11? You, you look over at the sign and read it all out loud. Ten items or fewer. Huh, that's cool. Start getting all frustrated like you're the only life that matters in the world. Start breathing like you got asthma. <laughs> 11 items, I don't know. Hey, buddy, what time is it? About 11? You think it's 11? Is it 11 yet? I think it's 11. I think it's 11. Right? And then we, I begin to think, what is wrong with this person? I may have asked my 10-year-old son out loud, son, are you ready for your 11th birthday? And do you think this person in front of us can't read or count? Which one is it? Because there's obviously a problem. We want justice. But then sometimes you're busy and you run in, and you might get 11 items, and you're running through real quick, and you see the person counting behind you, and you're trying to cover it up. And then you're thinking, no, 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 but, this, but I'm in a hurry. And, and I got Diet Coke and Coke, but that's like in the Coke family, so that should just be one, right? You plead for the grace. We all do it. But you know what Jesus offers here? He offers unmerited favor. This guy does nothing to deserve the grace of Jesus. And all he gives at the invitation is an excuse. And then here's what Jesus says, verse 8. Jesus said to him, get up. Take up your bed and walk. That's what the ESV says. I like the NIV here because it says take up your mat. Because when we think bed, we think like king size and great. But this is more like a yoga mat. This is this little like bed roll thing. And he says, get up, take up your mat and walk. Now, again, when I'm reading the scriptures, I'm thinking, Jesus, why in the world would you tell this man to take up his mat and walk? Because think about this. The brother has been laying there for 38 years. That's going to be one nasty mat, is it not? I mean, it ain't like the guy can shower or use deodorant. He can't hop up and run to the porta potty real quick. You understand what's going on on this mat for 38 years? It seems like, Jesus, you would say, all right, get up, throw that mat in the garbage, go hit a shower. I'll see you at sub 30 on Sunday night. It seems like it would be the call. But instead, he says, pick up your mat and walk. Maybe. Maybe it's because your past pain can be a platform for the glory of God. Maybe it's because, <clears throat> maybe because Romans chapter 8 verse 1 is actually true. Therefore, now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Maybe it's because, but, because you know, nobody could like Snapchat it real quick or put out a vine and show everybody that this man had healed and had been healed. And maybe when people saw Pete the paralytic running around town, they'd be like, I think that's that guy. And they're like, I don't know, man. No, that dude couldn't walk. And then they got close and went, smelled that mat. Be like, no, that's definitely that guy. Do you know what that means? That means there is no shame in your past. For any person who is in Christ Jesus, therefore now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. Now, <clears throat> um, to be condemned, to be condemned, that's a building term which means unfit for use. And so the enemy wants to come into your life and he wants to remind you of your past and remind you of your mat and say, who do you think you are to be walking up into this church or be saying that you're a Christian when you've got a past and a mat like that? And then Jesus comes along and says, therefore now there is no condemnation. 
And the enemy might look at you and say, nah, you're like a building unfit for use. And Jesus goes, oh yeah, I actually want to move in there and make that one of my temples and do work through you. You see, this is how real the gospel is, is that when the enemy starts whispering in your ear, you ever get the whispers? I mostly get them on Sundays right before I go preach. When the enemy starts whispering about, about my sin and about my past, you know what the gospel frees you up to do? The gospel frees you up to lean back into the enemy and it's like, hey, actually, enemy, you left out some stuff. It's much worse than you are saying. Because you're just talking about my sin. You don't even know the sin behind the sin. And you're right. I am a great sinner, but I've got bad news for you and good news for me. I have a greater Savior. And what you says is condemned, he says is his very temple where he moves in. And so here's what happens. At once, and at once the man was healed and he took up his mat and he walked. Did you know that God could use the greatest pains in your life as a platform for his own glory. That that's how much he loves you. That's how sovereign he is. Even self-inflicted wounds. That a sovereign God can use anything, anything, anything in your life, anything in your past. The sin that you have done to yourself and the sin done against you. And that our sovereign God could use that as a platform for his own glory. Do you know how I got saved? I ended up at this fundamentalist Baptist church camp. And they knew how to take the fun out of fundamentalism. But they, boy, they hammered the gospel. And the way I got there is because my parents were going through a divorce when I was in high school. I got a whole bunch of trouble. And that was, that was like volunteer service hours. That's how I ended up there. And that's where I met Jesus. And it was one of the most painful experiences of my life to get me there. But it was in that moment where I understood that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, that it counted for me. Little did I know that God was using my pain as a platform for his glory. That is the place where I preach my very first sermon. I'm sitting in the back of the room, Coach Bull Lee, my football coach, leans over to me and says, boy, when this song's over, you're going to go preach. I was like, what? This song? And we didn't have cool worship like this, all right? This is before Louis Giglio invented worship. It was, uh, we were singing, I am a C. Do you know what that song is? I hope not. I am a C. I am a C-H, I am a C-H-R-E-S-T-I-N. That was the worship song. Now, I'm from South Carolina like Pastor Clay, so I was in the 10th grade before I realized we were singing, I am a Christian, you understand? And so uh, I was like, I thought it was the Baptist camp. I didn't know we could speak in tongues. But anyway, and I was like, Coach, I'm not really, I'm not, I'm, I'm not comfortable speaking in front of people. And he said, comfortable? Boy, would you say comfortable? Do you think Daniel was comfortable in the lion's den? Boy, do you think Paul and Silas were comfortable in prison? Boy, do you think Jesus Christ was comfortable on the cross? And I was like, no, sir. And then he said, and then I said, well, coach, what do I talk about? He said, boy, that's easy. You talk about Jesus, you talk about 30 minutes. And so I did. And little did I know, God was using the pain in my life to set me up for a calling for his own glory. And the same is true for you. So at once, the man's healed, he took up his mat and he walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. For the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath and it is not lawful for you to take up your mat. I mean, <laughs> who do these people think that they are? You see, here's the problem. There's a problem in a whole lot of churches. Not this one, not this one. It's why churches like this one exist. Because here are some religious men that see law and not a life change. 
They see rules and they don't see a relationship with Jesus. They see a mat and they cannot see the miracle. So let me ask you, when God changes a life, do you see the mat or you see the miracle? Because the nastier the mat, then the greater the miracle. And here's this life change walking around with this mat and that's all that they can see. And then here's what Jesus, here's what the man answers. And this guy answers them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your mat and walk. Here's what I want to say to you, sub 30. Only Jesus gets to tell you who you are. Only Jesus gets to tell you who you are. And you live in a time and we live in a time where the father of lies is trying to tell you something that is just not true about you. Your activity does not define you. Your emotions do not define you. The things that you did in your past do not define you. Only Jesus gets to tell you who you are. So let me get specific. Here's what this means. That your sin does not define you. And your addiction does not define you. And your past does not define you. And your abortion does not define you. And your rape does not define you. And your race does not define you. And your, and your orientation does not define you. And you're like, but everybody's telling me it is. Well, only your creator gets to tell you who you are. And your divorce does not define you. And you're thinking, of course it does. It's the biggest thing that's ever happened in my life. No, it's not. Jesus dying on the cross for you is the biggest thing that ever happened to you. You were not your sin, you were not your emotion, you were not your addictions, you were none of those things, but you are who Jesus tells you you are. And you were not your promotion, and you were not your scholarship, and you were not your grades, and you are not your 401k, you are not your relationship status, you are not those things, you are who Jesus tells you you are. So I did a little Bible study for you. And this, I'm just going to pour the Word of God over you. And right when you think I'm almost done, I'm about a third of the way through. <laughs> and here's why. Because the Word of God, when it goes out, it just does what it always does. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's living and it's active and it can do in your soul what my words cannot do. So I want to tell you who, who God says that you are according to his word. Don't even try to keep up with all of them. Maybe I'll put it on my Facebook page or something. You can check it out later. But here's who God says that you are. That you are the salt of the earth. That you are the light of the world. That you are a child of God. That you are a part of the true vine, a channel of Christ's life. That you are Christ's friend. That you are chosen and appointed by Christ to bear his fruit. That you are a slave of righteousness. That you are enslaved to God. That you are a son of God. God is spiritually your father. And he is a good, good father. That's just who he is. And you're loved by him. That's just who you are. That you are a joint heir with Christ, sharing his inheritance with him. That you are a temple. And praise God, that has nothing to do with what you look like in a bikini. Can I get an amen? Very high-pitched amen. That you are a temple, a dwelling place of God. That his spirit and his life dwells in you. That you are a member of Christ's body. That you are a new creation. That you are reconciled to God and you are a minister of reconciliation. That you are a son of God and one in Christ. That you are an heir of God since you are a son of God. That you are a saint. You hear that, Catholics? 
You are a saint. You can take that other fellow's uh, name off your necklace and you can get a necklace with your own name on it and call your Catholic grandma and be like, hey, grandma, it's Saint Toby, all right? Because in Christ, you're a saint. That you are God's workmanship, His handiwork, born anew in Christ. That you are a fellow citizen with the rest of God's family. That you are a prisoner of Christ. That you are righteous and holy. That you are a citizen of heaven, seated in heaven right now. That you are an expression of the life of Christ because He is your life. That you are a son of light and not of darkness. That you are a holy partaker of a heavenly calling. That you are a partaker of Christ and you share in His life, that you are one of God's living stones and you are being built up in Christ as a spiritual house, that you are a member of a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you're an alien and a stranger to this world in which you temporarily live and you're an enemy of the devil, that you are a child of God and you will resemble Christ when he returns, that you are born of God and the evil one cannot touch you, that you were not the great I am, but by the grace of God, you were not what you were. You are valuable and you should be treated as valuable, that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, that you have been justified, completely forgiven and made righteous, that you died with Christ and you died to the power of sins ruled over your life, that you are free forever from condemnation, that you have been placed into Christ by God's doing, that you have received the spirit of God into your life, that you may know things freely given you by God, that you have been given the mind of Christ. You've been bought with a price. You are not your own. You belong to God. You have been established, anointed, sealed by God in Christ. You have been given the Holy Spirit as a pledge guaranteeing your inheritance to come. Since you have died in Christ, you no longer live for yourself, but you live for Christ. You have been made righteous. You have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer you who live, but Christ that lives in you. You have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. You have been chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy, and you are without blame before him. That you have been predestined, determined by God to be adopted as one of God's children. You are forgiven, and you are a recipient of his lavish grace. You've been made alive together in Christ. You've been raised up and seated with Christ in heaven. You have direct access to God through his spirit that you may approach God with boldness and freedom because he's a good dad and he wants to hear from his children that you have been rescued from the domain of Satan's rule and transferred to the kingdom of Christ. You've been redeemed and forgiven of all your sins. You are firmly rooted in Christ and now you're being built in him. You have been spiritually cleansed. The old unregenerate you is dead and the new has come. You have been made complete in Christ. You've been buried, raised, and made alive in Christ. You died with Christ and you've been raised up with Christ. Your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Christ is now your life. You've been given a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. That you have been saved and set apart according to God's doing. And because you are sanctified, and you are one with the sanctifier, that he is not ashamed to call you brother, that God is not disappointed in you because Jesus is the propitiation for your sin. Propitiation means a payment that satisfies. That means that God cannot be dissatisfied in you because of what Christ has done for you. You have the right to come boldly before the throne of God to find mercy and grace in a time of need. You have been given exceedingly great and precious promises by God by which you are a partaker of God's divine nature, and that is who you are.
It's just true. It's just true. Now, either, either, either you are who he says you are or he is a liar. Either you are who he says you are or he's a liar. So here's what, here's what this means. Any thought, any emotion, any religious leader that tells you something different than what God wor God's word tells you, they are lying to you from the pit of hell. Anybody that sees the mat and does not see the miracle is not speaking the words of the Father. Anyone speaking condemnation and not grace and truth, they are speaking the native tongue of Satan himself. And let me tell you, what has shaped me as a pastor of the gospel is when I failed in this area miserably 20 or so years ago. See, at the church that I have the opportunity to pastor, we have a vision statement like every other church in the world. And ours is that we would be a movement for all people to discover and deepen a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that all people matters to me a lot. Because the kind of churches I grew up in, they were not for all people. They were just for our people. If you didn't look like us and talk like us and dress like us, then you couldn't come there. And it came to a head for me, I, was, I think I was 21 years old, I was living in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, I don't know if you've ever been there. I would say don't, it's not that awesome, kind of the redneck Riviera. I grew up in a little town just outside of that called Dillon, kind of home of the mullet and the wide tire Camaro and you know. My daddy used to say best thing ever come out of Dillon, South Carolina is I-95 and he was right. And so, uh, <laughs> so when we got out, we would go to Myrtle Beach and so... Uh, <clears throat> I had three jobs there because I was 21 and I was trying to be a grown man. I live on my mother's couch, but that's another message for another time. And so I, uh, I was a youth pastor at a little country First Baptist Church about 20 miles in, inside of Myrtle Beach, this little tobacco farming town. And uh, I waited tables and then I also ran the world's gym that was there. I was like the morning desk guy and I'd make shakes and all that kind of stuff, open the gym and make smoothies or whatever. And so the guy that owned our gym, he was a great businessman and right across the street was a strip club called the Crazy Horse. And so he went to the Crazy Horse and he said, all right, girls, you got a free membership at World's Gym. And so they would all work out there about 10 o'clock in the morning. And then about 10.05, about a million paying dudes would follow right in, okay? So brothers are trying to make money. Now here's what happened to me. As a Southern Baptist youth pastor, here's what happened. That category of girl became individuals that I began to know. Because they, after they would work out and everybody would gawk at them, they would come sit at the table at the little front counter and I would make shakes for them. And usually I was working on my youth sermon. And I thought I'll run my youth sermon by these strippers and if they get it, my eighth graders will get it and we'll be all good to go, right? It was great. <laughs> and so <clears throat> here's what I began to learn. And let me just tell you, they did not have a category for me. They did not know what to do with me. Here's like a young, I was 21, here's a young workout guy at, at, that loves Jesus and like works with teenagers. They were like, what? They, and they would say, you should come see us at work. I'd be like, probably not, but you can come see me at work at my church. <laughs> so here's what I found out about these girls. Now this might not be true of every single person in this industry, but the girls that I knew in Myrtle Beach, this is what's true. Um, they almost all had children and their children did not know what they were doing. They had to have some other kind of like story about what they were doing. They all had to drink something or take something before they danced. None of them thought this was their plan going forward. They were gonna do this for just a short time and then get out of this, 
But then they just fell in love with the money and they couldn't. And then all of them had two names. So about three weeks in, I'd be like, oh, it's Susan? Okay, your name's not Bambi? Oh, okay, I didn't know that. And if your name's Bambi, I'm sorry, but you got a stripper name. That's just what you got. All right, so, it's just true. So, <clears throat> hey, it's just true, whatever. So, so about six weeks in, this girl, her name is Sunshine. And, uh, and she said, I'll go to church with you. And I remember thinking, uh-oh. <laughs> uh-oh. I mean, I invited them. Because I would, I would open up the Bible and I'd talk about Jesus and the grace of Jesus. And I would, I would really say, you need to go to a church. I didn't really mean my church. Because at my church, like they would think what's going on here is just crazy. They would all leave when they saw the movie screen. They'd be like, oh, we can't go see movies. All right, that's the kind of church that I was at. And we had, like, I would get in trouble if I didn't wear a tie and pleated khakis and like the whole thing. You know what I'm saying? And I remember thinking, how do you uninvite somebody from church? Because I don't know, if, ooh, this is, I might be in trouble. And so I didn't know how to do it. So I was like, okay, great. But I got to get there early because I'm the youth pastor and I do like announcements and stuff. She's like, great, I'll drive. So her and her daughter come and pick me up. This is like the early 90s in a white convertible Corvette. And I thought, sweet, we'll just slide right in under the radar here at First Baptist. <laughs> and I was like, well, at least let me drive. It was about 25 minutes away. It took me 11 minutes to get there. That part was cool. And here's the thing about sunshine. So she dressed up for church. But if I could just be honest, she, she had on like a really small but nice sundress. And, and she just looked like a stripper in a sundress. I mean, she had like, I mean, like platforms with a goldfish in it or something. I'm like, whoa, well, you know. And, and just, and, and hear me here. She was heavily invested into her career. Following? Gotcha. Okay, good, good, good. Now, guys, erase, erase, erase. All right, so, so we get in the vet. We head to church, and I'm sweating bullets. And so we go and we check her daughter into Sunday school, and then we go into the service. And again, we come walking in, and the stairs and the whispers, I mean, at least most people try to hide it. They didn't even try to hide it that day. It was like, what is the youth pastor and his guest? Who has he brought to church? You could hear it. And so... Before the service was over, some, a deacon, the chairman of the board of deacons came to me now. In that church, deacon meant power broker. In my church now, deacon means servant. But he came up to me in front of her and he said, we need to meet. And I was like, okay, sunshine, go get your daughter and I'll meet you at the car. And I went into a called deacons meeting and they said, what are you doing bringing her to our church? And this group of men saw the mat instead of the potential miracle. Now, let me tell you what I wish I'd have done, 21 years old. I wish I'd have stood up and say, how dare you? Who are you to look at Jesus Christ hanging on the cross and say, you're wasting your time? I wish I'd have had the guts to do that. But I didn't. I was afraid. I was afraid. I was afraid of getting fired from that church. I was afraid of what those people would think about me. I was more concerned about the applause of man than the applause of my heavenly father. And I just said, I didn't say anything. I just tucked my head and I walked out of that church. And then there she is leaning on her car with her aviators on and tears just rolling. And she said, y'all were mean about me, weren't you? I was like, and I lied. I lied my face off. No, 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 no. We had this thing that we had to meet about. And I just lied. And we got in the car and we drove back and it was just super awkward, super awkward. Meanwhile, her daughter is sitting in the back seat with a picture of Jesus that she had just colored in Sunday school. And I'm just trying to act like I wasn't a liar. 
And I was like, so what'd you think of church? And here's what she said. She said, I've never felt more degraded in my entire life. I'll never go back. Now let me just put this in context. Two nights before this, she's dancing on a pole with no clothes on for a, do- for a dollar from a stranger. And what she's saying, when I went into that building that had Jesus' name on it, I've never felt so degraded in my entire life. Church. When we come face to face with people that Jesus Christ died for, do you see the mat or do you see the miracle? Because when Jesus Christ died on the cross, it counted for you. So here's what I'm saying to you. Look, I am not the Pope of evangelicalism, but let me tell you this. If you've ever been burned or hurt or beaten up by some religious people because they did not see the miracle that God was working in your life, but all they could see was that nasty mat, let me just say, I am so sorry. I am so sorry. Jesus did not come and shed his blood on a cross for you to be degraded and to be condemned. But he shed his blood on the cross to redeem you and purchase you and speak life into you. And so that you do not have to be ashamed of anything that you have done. And there's nothing in your life that can tell you who you are. Only Jesus Christ gets to tell you who you are. Amen? Amen. So stand to your feet and pray with me. Our good and gracious Heavenly Father. Lord, I pray that your word, God, it would pierce us deep into our soul. God, that we would know, I mean, we would know that we know that we know by the power of the Holy Spirit that we are who you tell us we are. Not who the enemy tells us we are, not who the Pharisees tell us we are, not who religious leaders tell us we are, not who this world tells us we are, but we are who Jesus tells us that we are, that we are more than conquerors. And there is nothing, nothing, nothing that can separate us from the mighty love of God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Sub 30.